With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, everybody? And welcome into another edition of B-Shape Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer. Coming to you on Tuesday, August 10th, as the Cardinals take down the Pirates. We said it yesterday, the Cardinals have got to go on a run. If it's going to happen, it's got to start now. And so far, so good after the little rally speech we gave on Monday's B-Shape Daily. Cardinals 4, Pirates 1 on Tuesday as J.A. Happ strings together another quality outing since joining the Cardinals. He's been pretty solid. And with the injury to Quan Young Kim, I think that's going to give a little more leeway to this makeshift rotation as Jack Flaherty's going to get the start on Friday against the Royals. He thought initially it would be this series, the midweeker in Pittsburgh, that Flaherty would make his return. That was his hope that he expressed about a week ago. It's going to be Friday at the Royals. That'll give Jack the opportunity to just focus on his pitching, not have to worry about hitting because it will be in an American League ballpark at Kauffman, and so he'll just be able to pitch, not worry about batting with the DH in play there. And I think that's probably a positive just because the injury with the oblique, whether it was because of the swing or aggravated by the swing, I don't know exactly. You know, Initially they said, well, they, they don't really think it was the swing. Pretty clearly that's when the issue cropped up most evidently and didn't see Flaherty thereafter. So... Gives him a chance to not have to worry about that in his first game back. He probably hasn't swung the bat much recently, which is fine. Like, I think even when he does play in the National League setting, Cardinals should just tell him not to swing. If he can lay down a sacrifice bunt, great. If not, don't. I mean, is there a world in which they just say, ah, don't risk it, it's not worth it? We, we've, we've seen life without Jack Flaherty for two months, and we don't want to live that again. Really, it'll be going on about two and a half months since he last pitched on May 31st, and so, you know, that wouldn't be a terrible idea either, but given the kind of competitor he is, I don't know that Jack Flaherty would go for that. There's obviously a lot of benefit to being able to help yourself as a pitcher, especially on days where your offense is struggling to put things together, which we've seen often enough from the Cardinals this season, but what he's been on the mound when he's healthy in 2021, and you can go back even 2020, we've talked a lot about how the numbers maybe didn't bear out the kind of season that he had given the circumstances that he was under in 2020. If you throw out one bad outing, he was pretty much Jack Flaherty even last season when it looked like there was kind of that cloud hanging over his performance. It was really just one bad game. And then in the other starts, didn't go as deep because of the pitch limitations the team had on him. It really wasn't anything that he was doing abnormal or or outside of the the norm for what he is accustomed to doing on a pitcher's mound. And then 2019, you remember the second half of his season. So Jack Flaherty has been Jack Flaherty, and the fact that he'll have a chance to return to the Cardinals rotation 
off of what could potentially be a nice little winning streak after the Cardinals win two or three from the Royals. Maybe they'll be able to take care of business over the next couple of days against Pittsburgh, and then they'll roll right into another series against KC, this time on the road over the weekend. But I go on that little tangent about Jack Flaherty as a way to mention J.A. Happ, I think, is giving the Cardinals pretty much exactly what they hoped they could get from him when they acquired him from the Minnesota Twins on deadline day, July 30th. In there for a minute, it seemed like maybe there was a situation where if Happ and John Lester, who's not been quite as successful in his first couple of starts with the Cardinals, if those guys had gotten off to slow beginnings with St. Louis and Flaherty returns, Michaelis returns, maybe there's a world in which the Cardinals quickly have to cut one of them or both of them loose after giving up pieces, albeit small ones, at the deadline to acquire them. And so to see Jay Happ get his second outing on Tuesday, once again come through, look, the numbers weren't good. The Cardinals acquired him on July 30th. We talked about the fact that the excitement, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of reason to be excited. But the Cardinals pretty much were just looking for some innings from capable veterans, from guys who had done it before so they could spare their younger arms who just had not been performing at the level they had hoped. And Jay Happ fit the bill for that, even though his recent performance had kind of indicated he would be a guy you'd say, oh, yeah, it sounds like they picked him up off a a DFA and they're going to give him a shot. Cardinals had to give up John Gant for him, and so I think the narrative surrounding that move, they also gave up a 24-year-old double-A pitching prospect as well. I think the narrative surrounding that move, like, oh, you gave up, you know, a a player that had had been part of this team and had had success here in St. Louis before, you know, maybe not so much as of late, but John Gant was a known commodity in, in St. Louis, and Cardinals fans knew who this guy was. He's been around for a while. And you gave him up, a much younger player for J.A. Happ, who's, you know, on the in the twilight of his career and not performing well. I mean, ERA of 9.22 in the, in the month of July as of the day the Cardinals acquired him. It just didn't make a lot of sense. But the Cardinals were hoping for that change of scenery. They were hoping to be able to just get solid out of J.A. Happ. He's been better than solid in 11 innings now, allowing just three runs. That's an ERA, you know, below three by a good little margin and he's yeah he's got a 6.34 ERA on the season but another good outing from him on Tuesday six innings one hit one run it was a homer the hit that he gave up walked a couple and struck out five quality start and uh, one that allowed the Cardinals to get a W he earns the W in this one as the Cardinals win it four to one getting a little bit of offensive production early Tommy Edmond who Mike Schilt always likes to say it's the same phrase every time. He kills lefties. And he said back in the uh, one of the recent series in St. Louis, was asked again about Tommy Edmond leading off, said that's that's our blueprint. When we face a lefty, Tommy Edmond, expect to see him in that leadoff spot. We've talked about that on B-Shape Daily. He rewards the Cardinals and Mike Schilt for that decision right off the bat today with a home run to lead things off at PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Edmond with a one-for-four day also reached base via walk. And so doing again what... Cardinals expect of him against left-handed pitching. Dylan Carlson, another switch hitter atop the Cardinals order, was 3-for-4 today with a run scored, so a nice day by Dylan. And then it was Edmundo Sosa who thought he had a home run, hit off the top of the wall, and bounced pretty high in the air, allowing him to reach third relatively easily. He had the arm up like he was 
celebrating the homer, then realized it didn't get out, but still made it into third base with a stand-up triple, which prompted me to ask on Twitter, have you ever seen somebody pimp a stand-up triple? But Edmundo Sosa having a blast playing the game. He is so fun to watch when he's going. You know, not very many people are going to be fun to watch when, when they're hitting 220 and they're not producing. But even with where he is right now offensively, which is not, you know, ideal if he's your starting shortstop or second baseman on an everyday basis offensively because he's hitting 254. That's fine. 681 OPS is just not all that impactful when you combine it with where Paul DeYoung has been. His OPS at 678. Those are your guys starting up the middle today as Edmund ends up moving to the the outfield at the last moment based on a, a late scratch for Tyler O'Neill. Nothing serious for O'Neill. In fact, probably a positive for his season moving forward. He was just experiencing some symptoms following his second shot for the COVID vaccine. So, you know, that ends up being a benefit long term because you want all the players vaccinated because I mean, reality is they're, they're going to be less likely to contract COVID when they are vaccinated. And then thereafter, you don't have to adhere to contact tracing and things like that that could put somebody out of action. We've seen, you know, sometimes guys uh, on other teams end up on the COVID IL. You don't know exactly why. And then they re- return maybe three or four days later. It's a contact tracing situation. Somebody in their family may have tested positive. I've seen that instance and in, in that example over the course of the throughout the league and MLB. And so, it's just a positive in general to, to have that for O'Neill, but put him out of action today because he did have some symptoms after the second shot, which is not all that unusual. But because of that, you're starting up the middle today with Sosa and DeYoung. Now, DeYoung also hit a home run. That's pretty much been the, the one dimension of his game offensively that has remained intact this season despite some of the other struggles in other areas. DeYoung now 15 homers on the year. I mean, the guy's going to hit 22, 25 home runs by the end of the year, and he may do so with a batting average below 200. Right now he's at 199, and the OPS is not even above 700. He's at 678. He's lower than Sosa, who is not a home run guy. I think he's got two or three on the season, almost added to that total today, but ended up with, with only a triple. But that, from from DeYoung, it just has not been consistent enough, despite his ability to run into one every once in a while. You know, you, you would love to be able to get Paul DeYoung back to where he's taking those consistent at-bats day in, day out, where he runs into the homers as he's capable of doing when he's putting together good at-bats and hitting the ball hard. Right now, though, it just feels like he's kind of punishing mistakes, and it's few, few and far between. The numbers are going to be there for home runs. And really, every season of his career, he's been able to do that. He's been able to punish mistakes, and so he hits home runs commensurate with a guy who's got that pop in his bat. But you'd like to see it more consistently because and we've done this game around the diamond for the Cardinals talking about, yeah, the outfield's looking more like you like it, you know who you've got at the corners in Nolan and Goldie, but their numbers have been a little bit depressed compared to where you you would normally expect them to be. That's okay. They're still two team leaders, and that's that's fine. But then you're left with, all right, up the middle, underperforming, underperforming, two guys, and really you could, could lump in three guys, four guys, Matt Carpenter, Edmund, Sosa, DeYoung, all four of those guys tend to find some time on that middle infield. No matter who you've got in there, it's going to be somebody with an OPS in the 600s. And really, you know, you think about what an average performance would be from an OPS standpoint. I like to use OPS because it is just that one number that can encompass somebody's on base and factor in what their power looks like. And so while OPS plus or even uh, weighted runs created plus would be a little bit more of an insightful look because that, uh, depending on if you're looking at fan graphs, would be weighted runs created plus or 
baseball reference, which uses OPS plus in either, in either case, it's a number based on league average at 100. And then you, you go plus or minus from there to get an idea for where guys are performing. But the Cardinals, they just have too many guys in that middle of the infield. And you can, you can look up the middle and count Yadier Molina among that group as well with a 669 now OPS really has taken a dive since the beginning of his season started out so strongly in the first six weeks or so. That's just a lot of ground to make up, especially when you're not getting the robust performances from the corners like you you might hope to have. Like if Nolan and and Goldschmidt were both at career norms, you might not notice it as much, but it just has made it a little tougher for the Cardinals consistently to produce offensively the way I think the front office, the the, the staff believe they would, and, and the fan base as well, I think. Some people I've seen say, no, I knew they needed more Biondo or Arnado. It wasn't going to just be that that was going to fix this team. We're hoping for more moves in the offseason. And, I mean, we could take it all the way back to November when we talked about, even before Arnado was confirmed to be coming to St. Louis, Colton Wong's role in all of that and how he would have been a valuable player for the Cardinals. Even with Tommy Edmond on the roster, it didn't have to be either or, and that was something I tried to to drill into uh, the, the minds of at least our listeners here on B-Shape Daily. But just an idea, give you an idea of comparison. Colton Wong this season has dealt with some injuries, but has still put together now 301 plate appearances for the season, so a pretty good sample size. His OPS is 789, which would be a career high. Barely over his total from 2017, which was 788. He's slugging 447, which would be a career high on base of 342, which is right in line with what he did his last couple of years in St. Louis, just a little bit below. But he was a quality, clean, uh, pardon me, not a cleanup man, but a leadoff man for the Cardinals. And they've kind of missed that consistently. They have they think they've found the mixture now with Carlson against right-handed pitching and Tommy against lefties. That's been the, the way they've gone as of late. And it's worked out better than where they were kind of for that stretch in June when they couldn't really find that table setter to, to start things off at the top of the lineup. But that just gives you an idea with what Colton Wong's been doing, OPS near 800, he's in, at 789, and you've got a lot of guys in this Cardinals infield that have not been able to crack 700, and so that's just a, a production gap that didn't need to exist when you factor in the idea that Wong's, the only you know, the only thing that kept him from remaining in St. Louis was the financial commitment the Cardinals were not ready to make. At that point in time, didn't know what the revenues would be like, and so they said, yeah, we're going to have to decline that option. And to this day, I still think that was a mistake and one that didn't didn't necessarily need to happen. But that's where the Cardinals are with, you know, because you have now Edmund in an, in an everyday role, which, again, I think Edmund should be playing frequently. He, he should be playing every day against lefties in an ideal circumstance, which that would have worked out pretty nice. Colton Wong never liked the word platoon, but guess what? Over his career, he's been much more impactful against righties. So, for that to be like a general platoon idea, maybe Wong would get some opportunities against lefties. It like he was the perfect player for this roster, and that's what's so frustrating that the Cardinals just allowed him to walk over like a difference of eleven million dollars or something like that. And then to know that the Brewers got him on on a two year deal for even less of a financial commitment on an annual value perspective, I think he's making like eight million a year with them. So the Cardinals could have locked Colton Wong up on a really great value. And they didn't do it. And so where does that leave the Cardinals? Well, with a, a little bit of a lesser production at shortstop that you've gotten from DeYoung. And we will praise him for the home run today because that was part of the Cardinals' 4-1 to win. But it does put them in a position where it's like, all right, well, Edmundo Sosa, maybe we can can get a jump start from him. 
and he's been able to fill in admirably. And he's a great defender. He's really fun to watch. Nobody's having more fun out there when than Emundo Sosa when he's going well, and he is a blast to watch out there on the field, offensively, defensively, running the bases doesn't matter. I think he's an asset to the Cardinals and has been a pleasant surprise to the team this year. But you know, if he's your most impactful player off the bench. You got Matt Carpenter out there who just has not quite been able to put it together, still batting below 200. We've talked about the OPS. Jose Rondon has had some nice moments, but it's pretty clear that they don't trust him with a whole lot on his plate. He's a pinch runner. He's a pinch hitter on occasion. Haven't really seen him in the lineup very much at all. And so the bench just loses that depth from being able to say, hey, Tommy Edmond is your, your kind of super utility guy where he'll play most days. And even when he's playing, it might be because he's he's standing in for Arenado. Now you have punch off your bench once every few weeks when he takes a a breather. Same thing with Goldsmith. If he ever were to sit out a game, you know you can you can move DeYoung, you know, out of the lineup for a day when you needed to when when it looked like he needed a blow. Same thing for the outfielders. You would have just been at such a better position depth wise, and I think the Cardinals have been kind of battling against that all season long, but. We spent enough time on the negatives so far in this podcast. We will talk about the positives. Now, you know, Cardinals have won three out of four after winning the series against the Royals. Yeah, was it disappointing that they came so close to being able to sweep that series and didn't get it done? Yes, uh, but they're in position right now against a really, really bad Pirates team. You know, they've they've got very few pieces. Brian Reynolds is a really good player, but they had a guy today who's now a 171 hitter and a uh, 504 OPS batting cleanup. Anthony Alford, I don't know who that is but he's not very good. And so it's just where the Pirates are right now. Brault is a pretty solid starter for them. Cardinals didn't get a whole lot done against him, but the two home runs, that ends up being enough. They get a little bit off the bullpen as well for that 4-1 to victory. Added on in the sixth inning. And you get some help from your bullpen. That's kind of the formula. Good to see Helsley come in, Henesis Cabrera. And then you get Alex Reyes. No day for Gio. So Gio should be fresh and ready to go. After the off day Monday and a day off for him on Tuesday to, to be somebody the Cardinals can lean on a little more heavily on, on Wednesday because they want to come away with the series at the very minimum. You've got to come away with the series. And then if you win game two, it, it does kind of turn that game three into what feels more like more of a must win. And I mean, if you're talking about your confidence level going into game two on Wednesday, you have Adam Wainwright on the mound against Will Crow. I maybe not a, a more, uh, prime example of the Cardinals going into a matchup this season with the advantage in the pitching matchup that I think we've seen in a while. Adam Wainwright, he's talked about how he's had had his rough times in Pittsburgh, even through the lean years when the Pirates weren't very good, how they always kind of tend to give him some trouble in that first inning at PNC Park. But I think tomorrow Wainwright's going to rise to the occasion, be on the moment and, and ready to rock and roll on Wednesday where the Cardinals are going to need him in that 6:05 start at PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Cardinals do get back to 500. We've talked a lot about that being a uh, kind of inflection moment for the team this season, given that it seems like weeks and weeks now. I saw where the Braves, before the Cardinals series, had gone. And, of course, the Braves were able to sweep that series against the Cardinals, and so that maybe changed their trajectory. I haven't looked in the last couple of days, but they're still three games above 500. Atlanta's a game out now of the Phillies. I'll tell you what, that uh, NL East is a mess because the Mets have gone on a tailspin, winning only two of their last ten. Philly has has ridden real hot recently. Uh, Bryce Harper's been playing great baseball for them. Maybe one of the... It's so funny how Bryce Harper can be the big shot name comes into the league, and you've got all these opinions of him. 
then it's like always overrated. And then he goes to Philadelphia, kind of gets a little bit lost. You know, gets that big contract. People were wondering, you know, 13-year contract. Not as much on the annual value, but he was where he wanted to be, and he was locked up for life. And then kind of you forget about him. It's almost as though Bryce Harper has made the 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 full revolution from, you know, a guy that people think is overrated to where I think he's honestly now underrated across Major League Baseball. If you don't believe me, go look at Bryce Harper's numbers this season. Compare them to anybody in the Cardinals lineup. Bryce Harper's having a really good year for Philly. So they've won eight of their last ten to take over first place in that NL East, and now that division is kind of becoming a little bit of what we thought it would be with just kind of a dogfight for multiple teams, all you know, three teams right now in that division within two games of one another. And so the Braves, because of their efforts against the Cardinals, have definitely uh, entered into that space. They're now seven out of their last ten. But coming into the Braves series with the Cardinals, the Braves had gone like almost a month winning a game and then losing a game. They alternated like every day for close to a month, and they couldn't escape that magnet of 500. They've now gotten over the hump with a little help from St. Louis, as I mentioned. Now it's the Cardinals' turn to be able to do the same thing. They're 56-56. and 56. They're 11 back in the division of the Brewers. You know, over their last 10 games, they've actually lost one game on Milwaukee. They're 5-5, five and five, and the Brewers are 6-4. and four. So you haven't made the gains that you hoped that you would. There's no time like the present, though. You're playing the Pirates, and then you get another round with the Royals. Two bad teams. It's it's now or never. It really is for the Cardinals, and we're seeing the things that we need to see so far from them this week. You'd like for them to be able to have one of those offensive breakout games where you go, yep, that's what can give them a little bit of confidence, a little bit of momentum offensively, because even now you're winning games 4-1, to 5-2. to two. You're coming away with the wins that you need, but you're not so sure that if the pitching doesn't hold up on an everyday basis, you're going to be able to steal the wins that you need. So it would be good to see the offense be able to kind of round into form over the next couple of weeks to help the Cardinals to the amount of wins that they need. Brewers are coming around the bend here before long as well on the schedule, and those are going to be some important games. If you have any designs on the NL Central, you can still look in the direction of the wild card. It has come into play a little bit more clearly, but still not a, a great chance as the Cardinals are eight games back of the San Diego Padres for that second wild card spot. They're a team that I don't expect to fade really at all over the rest of the season. They're six and ten, pardon me, six and four over the last ten and have reached sixty-five wins already. Cardinals at just fifty-six. So long way to go, but they can do it one game at a time. It's the way the Cardinals have got to approach this. And I think within that clubhouse, there's no question that is the way that they're going about their business right now. Uh, you know, one day at a time and, and if Jay Happ is your starter and you might say, Oh man, I just don't know how good I feel about that if the Cardinals are gonna rely on him for any period of time well you've seen what it can look like and, and it wasn't like this was at bush stadium but i think there was part of the idea was bring him into bush stadium where he made his first start with st louis give him a chance in, in, in a pitcher's park and see if that can't reorient the uh progress of his season it looks to be doing so as of right now i i feel like you have some level of confidence with jay happ of what you're going to get it's it's just like that matter of certainty of yeah you know he might go five innings six innings i, I think he's probably going to give you a chance to win though quality start machine could he be that kind of guy down the stretch we'll see and we'll see if the Cardinals need him to be what I'm interested in is John Lester the next time he gets a chance to pitch what's that going to look like Miles Michaelis is growing ever closer we know Flaherty is going to be Friday and Michaelis probably won't be too far behind him and so of Hap Lester and, and I guess you could still consider Wade LeBlanc in there although he again he turned out a, another nice start the last time uh, giving the Cardinals a chance to win that's the name of the game I don't know that you're going to want to replace 
Hap or LeBlanc. And so without another injury, which again, we talked about it, but the injuries were going to come. It just happens. It's baseball. It's just the nature of the beast. Still no exact timetable on what it looks like for KK. They weren't having the recovery from him that they were hoping just between his his outings. And so after that start on Saturday, that was when it was kind of determined, yeah, he's not recovering quite right, still dealing with the soreness. We're going to give him 10 days. I don't think the Cardinals are talking anything structural, but, you know, it always starts somewhere, and, and we'll see what it looks like for KK moving forward. Cardinals would love to get him back, but you do feel like you're in decent hands right now with the way the rotation is pitching, and we know that the, the, the name of the game in the bullpen is to find as many reliable arms as you can. And I will say over the last week or so, you've seen Luis Garcia come in a couple of times and give the Cardinals quality innings. And Ryan Helsley contributed as well tonight. And so if you can get even those five, and then you consider Andrew Miller has actually been pretty good. They just haven't really asked a whole lot of him. They haven't used him much. Justin Miller. So, I mean, this bullpen could come together in, in a way that it becomes a strength one, once again for the Cardinals, kind of the way we viewed it you know, back in spring training for sure when we talked about it being the, the best unit of the, the roster. When you look at bullpen, starting pitching, offense, Probably defense would have even been a little bit better than bullpen coming into the season. But early on, we saw what can happen when the Cardinals get that bullpen humming, especially uh, on the days where they can use their their core guys. And if you can add to that, if, if, if you can say Helsley is a core guy because of the way he's performing, that's going to really help. If you can start to mix and match and say, hey, Reyes will get us today. Gio can do it tomorrow. Maybe he throws two innings if the Cardinals have a lead late tomorrow night. Maybe Andrew Miller, they could throw him into the mix because he's pitched a lot better since coming back from the injured list. So we'll see what it ends up looking like for the Cardinals. I do think there's this chance to be able to take advantage of your schedule. That's what they're looking to do, certainly in this game, uh, the series against Pittsburgh. And we'll see if they're able to continue that momentum on Wednesday behind Adam Wainwright. You figure they'll be able to do just that with Wayno on the mound. So we'll see how that ends up going. We'll certainly be here to talk about it after Wednesday's game. I appreciate you guys, as always, for listening and sticking with B-Shape Daily throughout the St. Louis Cardinals season. If you're new to the podcast and you'd like to hear more, I have a way for you to be able to do that. It's your lucky day. Head on over to anchor.fm slash bshafer12. Click the More Platforms tab, and you'll find all the options, all the different apps where B-Shape Daily can be found. Among them are Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, there's a Pocket Cast on there. Lots of choices for you. Pick your favorite and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Thank you all once again for listening to B-Shape Daily, and we'll talk to you next time after the Adam Wainwright game on Wednesday. How will the Cardinals fare against the Pittsburgh Pirates? We'll be here to recap it on B-Shape Daily. Peace!